Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I'd like to ask you after the service to greet the people who are around you that you don't know their name. I know most of you. But a lot of you aren't known by other people, and it really is our privilege to love those who come into the household of faith, and you really need to know them to love them. So introduce yourself to the people around you that you don't know after the service. Don't just go and talk to your children or your parents or your, your friends, all right? Let's bow our heads and ask God to feed us from his word. Father... We thank you this morning that once again we can feed on your word. We thank you that every word of it has a meaning and that the meaning is true and that together it is the bread of life. We thank you that our Lord honored this book, this holy scriptures, and we pray that you will revive your church this morning and that you will revive us through the proclamation publicly of what your word says. We Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every one of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, in the Western world, everybody is talking about homosexuality. Everyone. You go to Google News page and it's keeping a running tally of how many uh, states are going to Uh, legalize the marriage of two men or two women. And it would be nice as a church to live as if we didn't have a context, we didn't have a city, we didn't have a country, we didn't have a culture. But the fact is, just as the Corinthian Christians lived in Corinth, you and I live in Bloomington. And so we're very aware of the battles being fought over this. And I think probably a lot of us just try to not be aware of what's going around us until it actually is our relatives and we're getting invited to the marriage of two lesbians or two gay men and then, you know, you have to think, well, I guess I have to decide something I'm going to do or something. And uh, this last week, I spent a good bit of time um, reading up on... uh, Uh, how this battle is going in the church. Because, of course, the whole point of belonging to Jesus Christ is holiness. You heard them say earlier, quoting scripture, without holiness, no man will see God. And we know that sexual sin is not holiness. It's the opposite. And sexual sin violates our conscience. It makes us sick spiritually and physically. But it also puts us in a position under God's judgment and his wrath. God is wrathful against sin. Now, sadly today, the way that scripture is preached usually is the way some of us grew up hearing Coke being sold. You remember the commercial? Things things go better with Coke. And, uh, and so we grew up hearing that Coke took every aspect of life and just improved it slightly. And that's probably a pretty good description of the way most people 
Look at Jesus today in the church. You know, things go better with Jesus. Now, of course, it's true, but a lot of the most wicked things in life consist of taking a truth and twisting it. And to reduce Jesus Christ to just an add-on, you know, like, well, you know, I'll take the EX instead of the LX because I like leather seats. It's so perverse because what we're doing is we're making Almighty God subservient to us, and what we're really doing is we're denying his Godhead. And so he becomes a way that you can have a better family, a better childhood, a better marriage, you know, that you can learn to be more integrated as a human being. And so this week, as you heard earlier, Alex mentioned it, is the 497th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So if you take all of Christendom, not Buddhism, not Confucianism, Christendom, Christianity, you can divide it into three groups. Uh, In the East is Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy, Greek Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodoxy, and really Coptic Christianity down in uh, Ethiopia would be a part of that tradition. And then you come to Roman Catholicism in the West, and 500 years ago, 497 years ago, Roman Catholicism split And it split into the Protestant, the protesting part of it, and the non-protesting part of it. So that's what Protestant means. It's the protesting. And for five centuries, the contrast between Protestants and Roman Catholics has been stark and vivid. And both sides tried to make it as stark and vivid as we possibly could because we knew that what was at stake was the salvation of men and women's souls. And so Protestants have always said that a man is saved not by works of the law. And the Roman Catholic Church has always said that man is saved by works of the law. Now, as soon as this service is over, our perfect keeper of Roman Catholic doctrine, David Canfield, is going to come up to me, and he's going to say to me, Tim, you didn't get that right. (laughs) Right, David? Where are you? Yeah, he's going to tell me that. He always does. But listen, I'm, I'm trying to speak in such a way that you understand the essence of the issue, all right? I'm not trying to play the so the Sorbonnist intellectual games of Roman Catholicism. And so if you go where I went one time with my dad down to La Ciudad de Mexico, and you go to the cathedral, what do you find there? What you find is typically old women crawling up the steps of the cathedral on their knees. And that is one of the works that saves them. Roman Catholicism teaches that man is saved by the works of the law. Now, some of you here who have some knowledge of the battle between Protestants and Roman Catholics are thinking I'm being unfair. And so let me show you that the battle is over two words, both of which begin with an I. 
One of those words is imputation, and the other word is infusion. Now, you all have, some of you have been to uh, Wachimajuhigi uh, tea. Uh, what's it called? Starbucks owns it now. Tavana, or Tavana, or however you pronounce it. And what do they have there on the shelves? They have a ton of infusers, right? You, you know, anybody of you drink, you know what a fuser. That's where it's something that you put the tea leaves in, you lower it into the water, and the taste and, 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 and the, the characteristic of those tea leaves is infused through all the water, right? They're infusers. That is the Roman Catholic doctrine about how we're saved, all right? The Protestant doctrine is that man is saved not by his own righteousness, but by the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And so when a Roman Catholic and a Protestant stand before God, if they're faithful to the doctrine of their churches, a Roman Catholic will say, I should be accepted into heaven because my life has been characterized by faith working through Love, all right? And a Roman Catholic, starting, of course, with baptism, confirmation, and then the the sacrifice of Christ in the Mass, they sacrifice him every time, all right? It becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. And then you have auricular confession, or regular, however you want to do your confession, then you have holy orders, you have very... And then, right at the end, the seventh sacrament, which is last rites. The Roman Catholic, through communion, what they call the Mass, they're constantly working the system. They're working the system, working the system, working the system, and the goal is that by working the system the love of Christ will come to dwell in their hearts to such a degree that they what? That they merit, that they merit, that they deserve heaven. That's their doctrine. And so what you need is a lot of merit. You have different ways of getting merit. Now, what are we celebrating? On October 31st, 2014, 497 years after Martin Luther did it. What we're celebrating is Martin Luther taking not one thesis for a PhD, but 95 theses, propositions, arguing points, writing them down on paper, and then hammering them to the castle church in Wittenberg. Okay? At the time... He was how old? Um, 30, either 34 or 38, I can't remember. I think it's 34. Okay, he was 34 years old. Who's 34 here? (laughs) Okay, Will and Michael. Stand up so they can see a 34-year-old man. These are 34-year-old men. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Thanks, Will. He got up and he took 95 
debating propositions, 95 argument points. And he wrote, 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 wrote until he got to 95. And he nailed it on the door of the church at the center of Wittenberg. And what was the first of these 95 arguing points? Here's the first one that he wrote. And this is what we're celebrating this week. He wrote, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of penitence or repentance. Now, what's the big deal? You know, I mean... What's the big deal? What's the big deal with him writing it? What's the big deal with him hammering it to the door of the cathedral? And what's the big deal? I mean, from that point on, Rome was like, they were hammering on him and his life wasn't worth anything. He came this close. If it hadn't been for the civil magistrates protecting him, he would have been executed right and left. What's the big deal? This is the first of the 95 theses, and five centuries later, we're, we're celebrating it. What's the big deal? It sounds like a perfectly sort of innocuous kind of safe kind of spiritual kind of thing to say. I mean, okay, I'll read it to you again. Here it goes. When our Lord and Master, well, <laughs> I mean, Houston, we have a problem. Can you imagine nailing this up on sample gates at the entrance to Indiana University? I mean, first of all, what does it mean to be an American if we don't have any lord, let alone master? We're Democrats. We, we believe in democracy. We have no king. And so here the first words are actually, if you were honest, they're pretty obnoxious, but back at the time of Luther, this was not the scandal. Everybody there knew you had lords and masters and that Jesus was our lord and master. I can't think of any way of beginning a proposition for debate in the Protestant church in America today that's more offensive than starting with this statement, when our lord and master. Unless, of course, you have not a clue what the words Lord and Master mean. And if you don't know what Lord and Master mean, well then, yeah, you still are on the boat and you're happy. But can you imagine nailing that on the door of Joel Osteen's church? When our Lord and Master... And this was in a day when your Lord and Master could execute you just like that. And that's what he confesses immediately about God. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, and then he gets to the controversial part, said, repent. Now, if you were to get through the doors of Protestant churches in America today with the Lord and Master part, you know, somehow they were to swallow that. What do you think every Protestant church in America today would say if they were called to repentance? 
if the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth was summed up by a call to repentance. Well, you know what we do, right? We're good Protestants. And so what we would do is we would say, no, wait a second, you're, you're justified by, by, by grace alone through faith alone. You say, when our Lord and Master said, repent, but, but wait a second, you're turning repentance into a work. You're just like the Roman Catholics, you know? It's by grace. Don't talk to me about repentance. And I say, okay, I won't. I'll just tell you, you're saved by grace, and that repentance is when you give up on yourself and just give it all to Jesus, and things go better with Coke. You see, in other words, if you allowed me to talk about repentance, what would you do? You would say, go ahead and talk about repentance, but don't flesh it out. You know, don't give it any superstructure. Don't, don't give me the vertebra, you know, the bones in the back. Don't describe the bones to me. Don't tell me what the parameters are. Don't, don't get specific with me. Just speak in generalities. Repent. Well, yeah, I suppose that a man that says, I love Jesus, implicitly, you know, in other words, how do you say, how would, I, I don't know how to do that, but anyhow, theoretically, you know, he has repented because he's despaired of himself and he trusts in Jesus, right? But did you ever find any prophet? Did you ever find John the Baptist? Did you ever find Jesus? Did you ever find the apostles Peter or John or Paul? Did you ever find them issuing generality calls to repentance without specificity? You know, wouldn't it be nice if I'd get up in the pulpit every Sunday and I'd say, now, uh, each one of you has some area in your life where there is something that you just feel isn't quite right. <laughs> you know? Would that heal you? Would that satisfy what you feel inside? Now, on one level, yes, because everybody panders to postmoderns. And so that kind of feels good, you know? Well, yeah, I'm willing to cop to that plea, or plea to that cop, or cop to that whatever, you know? I'm willing to plead guilty to that and, and try to, what's, what do you call it? You know, lower the sentence. Yeah, I'm willing to go along with that. Then I say, okay, how about if we all plead guilty to hating the bifurcation, the movement into two of sexuality. How about if we all repent that all of us are conspirators against manhood and womanhood? And all our men are gay and all our women are butch. How about that? Can we repent for that? Well, of course, the devil's in the details. And so you say, well, okay, what do you mean by men are gay? I say, oh, don't worry about it. It's just sort of theoretical. It's hypothetical. Don't worry. It has nothing to do with men not wanting to ask a woman out. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the length of hair of men and women. I mean, you know, that's so stupid. 
I mean, how cliche, you know? What? Why, would, why would God care about the length of hair? You know, God isn't small. God isn't, God isn't keeping track of hairstyles. I say, okay, how about body parts going together or not? Well, you know, some people are just wired differently. I say, okay, okay, doesn't have to do with dress, doesn't have to do with hair, doesn't have to do with body parts. Tell me, what on earth does sexuality have to do with? Did God make sexuality or not? And so then you'll come up with what this university pastor dude, so all the university people in Madison at Christ Church there, David on the lake, you know, what he said when he was preaching to my denomination is, the story of Adam and Eve in the fall and their relationship does not have to do with sexuality, and it does not have to do with marriage. It has to do with intimacy. And he was the pastor to all the leading people at InterVarsity in Madison. He was in my presbytery. And I'm thinking, okay, Adam and Eve doesn't have to do with sexuality. I, I guess I was an idiot. I mean, is he, the, is he running the American Breeding Service? You know, that if you've ever been to southern Wisconsin, you know, as you go by on the interstate, you know, ABS there, and they always have these really funny sayings. Well, let me tell you something. When it comes to the American Breeding Service, you better believe that it's, that it's bulls they have to do with. Right? So apparently sexuality matters there. But he says... Look, it doesn't have to do with sexuality. And then remember the second thing he said. It doesn't have to do with marriage. It has to do with what? Intimacy. Well, listen, I know male homosexuality really well. And I won't tell you how, but boy, do I know it. (laughs) Okay? And let me tell you something. There's no greater violation of God's gift of intimacy than male homosexuality. If you don't know that, you're cultivating ignorance. The number of partners is mind-boggling, and generally, intimacy and number of partners are inversely correlated. (laughs) Generally, it's when your wife has heard you apologize a 100,000 times and forgives you yet again that you have real intimacy. You see, fidelity and intimacy go together. And so here we are dealing with the issue that everybody in our country is talking about. And all the church is perfectly fine, perfectly fine with when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, because we explain Lord and Master away, that was back in the Middle Ages when Lord and Master had a different meaning and they had sort of a subordinate status where they sort of related to language like that, you know, said, repent. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you agree that things go better with Coke, implicitly that's repentance, you know. You're admitting that you can't do everything you need to do. I say, okay, come come, 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 come on. Can I please flesh it out a little bit? Give it a little bit of a, you know... Because without this, I'm like, right? I can't stand upright. 
So let's like put the bones in and the, the joints and, okay. Now, repent of what? Well, since everybody in the world is talking about sexuality today, how about, how about the church talks about sexuality? I mean, you know, if, if, if they can, why can't we, right? Right? I mean, really, think about it. If the whole world is talking about it, and so we say, well, it's not about sex, and it's not about marriage, it's about intimacy. And so what are we going to repent of? So I said to this pastor, after he got done preaching this horrible sermon, I said to him, okay, let's just say it isn't about sex, it isn't about marriage, let's say that it is actually about intimacy. Why didn't you? And so then he illustrates a violation of intimacy, because of course that's the one thing that we have in the creation of Adam and Eve, remember, that's what he said. And so how does he illustrate a violation of intimacy? Well, not by talking about the unbelievable violation of intimacy of male homosexuality, but rather by talking about a husband that doesn't talk to his wife. Now listen, I'm real big on husbands talking to their wives. It's absolutely central to love. But do you see how unfaithful he is there? He's avoiding the issue of homosexuality. And I think if you wanted to find the most awful violation of intimacy, you wouldn't go to a husband who's non-communicative. You would talk about 400 sexual partners of a male homosexual. Alley cats are not intimate with their partners. Do you understand this? And so this is repentance. If you love people tempted by homosexuality, you say to them, do you know that God wants you to have a relationship with one person for life? And he says, oh yeah, that's why I want homosexual marriage. And then you stop because you got him to repent on the issue of promiscuity, right? I mean, that's good enough. What God couldn't expect that we would add on to you know, and so now you're a Republican log cab, cabin or whatever they're called, right? Or whatever, whatever that guy's name is, right? So now we're conservative because although we accept homosexuality, we reject promiscuity in homosexuality, and then we feel real good about ourselves because we're teaching repentance. You can't be promiscuous. You have to have marriage, Right? And listen, do you understand everything we're doing in the church today is falling all over ourselves trying to avoid what Luther was bold in saying. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said we must repent, he was teaching us that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. A life of repentance. A life. And do you know something? In the church of Jesus Christ, repentance is a gift. It's a gift. It's not something we run away from. 
So I, here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to show you that if Martin Luther came to our churches today, and he didn't even write the other 94, he just took the first one, and he hammered it to the doors of our churches, it would be revolutionary. It would flip the Protestant church upside down. You remember the illustration of Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard says the modern church, well, this was a century ago, but he says the modern church is like someone who hears that his friend loves nuts. And so he says he makes this huge show of giving his friend nuts, nuts, and more nuts, just as many nuts as you can have. But every single shell, he, he's taken the kernel out. So it's like, uh, what are those nuts I've been eating recently? Uh, pistachios, yeah. Yeah, and Jason's mother brought me, thank you, this big bag of pistachios. You know, every single one, you have to, like, put your fingernail in and open, then your hands get all salty, but that's part of the joy, right? And so she would bring me a bag of pistachios, and every one you'd have to open, and as you opened every single one, there would be no nuts inside. That's the church today. We celebrate the Reformation. And we talk about the 95 Theses, and we sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and we study Martin Luther, we study Calvin, we study all these guys, right? And where is repentance? Where is repentance? Where is repentance? Where is repentance? Where is it? Where is repentance in your heart? What are you repentant for? What sin in your life? Now, mind you, I'm not bringing up homosexuality because I I just want to single out people tempted by homosexuality. I keep trying to tell people I find homosexuality really boring You know, when my wife and I were first married in Madison, Wisconsin, we had a man and a woman both caught up in in homosexuality, and we spent a lot of time working with them. You know, it's just boring. Fornication's boring. Adultery's boring. Homosexuality's boring. It's nothing exotic. It was back there at Sodom and Gomorrah. It was back there in ancient Greece. You know, it's boring. But see, my point is, every period of culture has a particular aspect of God's holiness that it hates, and it focuses its attack precisely there. And so you and I today in Bloomington are tested not by where we stand on whether or not it's good to mess up God's green earth by throwing McDonald's wrappers out the window. I mean, it's just so inane. We make a big show of fastening our safety belts and anybody smokes cigarettes around us, naughty, 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 you know, let alone somebody that chews tobacco, you know. 
And meanwhile, homosexuality is being promoted everywhere. They're throwing out the law of God. And we just preen ourselves on how I don't litter and I don't smoke cigarettes and I don't live on the west side of Bloomington. Because living on the west side of Bloomington is kind of like being from Galilee. Can anything good come from the west side of Bloomington? The reason I'm bringing up homosexuality is because it is the focus of our culture's hatred of God. Our culture hates sexuality, hates intimacy, hates marriage, hates body parts, and says to God, we will not submit. That's what our culture is doing, and it's going all over the world. And so that's why I talk about it. I think if the world's going to say, give God the finger on sexuality, I think a preacher of his righteousness should focus on sexuality. That's my radical thought. You know, generally, if a child is obedient in everything but the dinner table, a good mother will focus herself on the dinner table. <laughs> right? Are you all with me? You know, if a child obeys, if a child's respectful, if a child is sensitive, if a child is neat, if a child is clean, if a child works cheerfully and lies, I don't think you should focus on working cheerfully. I think you should focus on lying, right? Unless, of course, she's not lying. (laughs) We had another episode in our extended family this last week, I keep telling parents that you will always make mistakes in the discipline of your children. And uh, poor Hannah, and now poor Allison, you know, we made mistakes. You, You did, I did. But listen, if a child does lie, you have to focus your defense of the holiness of God at the point where that child is in rebellion against God. And the same thing is true of a city, the same thing is true of a nation, the same thing is true of a culture. And the same thing is true of you. You are going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see where in you you're a rebel against God. And guess what? That's where you're going to focus your repentance, is right where you don't want to obey God. And that's where I'm going to focus my repentance. And if I love you, that's where I'm going to point to you about, right? And what I'm preaching today is not on homosexuality. If you're following the ball, what I'm preaching on is repentance. That's what we will not do. And why is it? The reason is that we think that we can earn salvation. We have become Roman Catholics. That's the truth. And so we make a big show of celebrating the Reformation. And, you know, we're like Protestants, right? And we have turned faith into the work that we do. Not only that, but we have turned our systematic statement that we're saved by grace, through faith, 
by grace alone, through faith alone. And we come out with this mantra, and we have the words in the right order, you know. Are you with me? And that's the work we do, you know. We say, we're a Protestant, and we know that the Scripture teaches a man is saved by grace through faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and then we think we're saved. But we don't repent. And Martin Luther started the whole thing with, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, he was teaching us that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. People come into our church, and they have their consciences convicted of sin. And we're so apologetic. You know, I'm sorry. You know, Tim doesn't usually talk about the Roman Catholic Church that much. You know? I'm sorry. Tim, Tim, Tim does have a thing about sexuality, but, you know, once you get to know him, he's nice. And you guys, what is repentance? Is it a gift from God? Or is it a curse? And you know, it all depends on whether or not you believe that God is holy. And that you have no hope because of the holiness of God. You see, Rome did not teach the holiness of God. Rome did not teach the heartness of the law. And therefore, Rome had no problems telling people that they'd be saved through their good works, through the law. Because as Rome saw it, it just had to, you know, you got the mortal, you got the venial, you got, you know, all these little packages that you sort of work, you know. And so instead of teaching that God is holy and that no man will see God unless he is holy, Rome taught that, well, if you, you know, before your baptism, and then after, and then you got original, so you got the moral, you got the venial. If you go to Mass and you do our auricular confession, you go, and then you got the treasury of merit. So you could conceivably give money to Tetzel's box and, you know, help pay for the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo, you know, that's helpful. And, and then as you give this money and stuff, you know, are you all with me? Any of you in, in, in Kelly? Anybody here in Kelly? Okay. Did you hear what I just said? This money and stuff, right? If you give this money and stuff, it'll work the system in such a way that, that you can compartmentalize what God will do and when God will do and how God will do. And, and, and so you, you, you know, you got the baptism, you got the confirmation, you, you know, you want to do weekly mass at least. And then you have last rites. And if you're in La Ciudad de Mexico, it helps to go up the steps on your knees. Make sure there's a lot of candles. And if you have children that are devils from hell who will not worship God, who are rebels then you better light twice as many candles because because you have to partake of the treasury of merit that the Roman Catholic Church owns to apply it to your son, to your daughter, because they don't understand the condition they are in 
And so you can have, through finances and indulgences, you can transfer the merit of the church to an individual. Does this make sense to you? And that was the center of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Tetzel preached that the minute a coin went in the box, a soul would spring free. Free from what? Free from the judgment of God. Free from purgatory. Why? Because the coin transferred the treasury of merit that the church owned and could dispense in a mercantile system to the individual. If you put the coin in, the individual, based on your good work and the good works of the church, would rise to the level that they had enough infusion of righteousness that they were worthy of heaven. And so all these things that they did, on and on and on and on and on and on and on, including mercantilism, buying and selling salvation, all of these things were built up to the point where finally you had infused into you sufficient merit, in other words, sufficient law-keeping, that you were worthy of heaven, finally. Do you understand this? And Protestants said, no, we can never merit salvation. It doesn't matter how many masses we go to. It doesn't matter how many alms we give. It doesn't matter if we have a papal audience every day of our lives. We can never be righteous in the sight of God. Never. Listen to this. This is what the Word of God Scripture says. It says... In 1 John 3.36, I mean John 3.36, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son, notice, obey, believe, obey, believe, obey, believe, right? But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. And then what does it say? Do any of you know? But the wrath of God abides on him. Romans 5.9, much more than having now been justified by our masses, by the treasury of merit, by indulgences, papal indulgences, plenary indulgences, no. It says much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved what? From the wrath of God through him. You see, you could never have the Roman Catholicism of the Middle Ages without an unbelievably, pathetically low view of God's holiness and of the heartness of the law of God. You see that? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, God, made him Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, took upon himself our sin so that we might have his righteousness. Not so he'd inspire us to be better people. It happens. We're not ever going to get into heaven because of our keeping of the law. The Apostle Paul says, I count all things but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. Go ahead and turn it on, please. Not, see verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes half from me and half from God. Is that what it says? No. It says that the righteousness which comes from God. From God. Not from the Pope, not from the Treasury of Merit. Not from the coins in the box. Not from you trying really hard not to be jealous and bitter. Not from you trying to somehow make yourself have heterosexual lust instead of homosexual lust. Tons of people have homosexual lust. Tons of married women read romance novels. It's the same thing. You realize this, right? Come on. We sin. How much sin do we have to get rid of before we can be worthy of the presence of the Lord? You look at your heart deep down in, deep down in, the place where you never tell anybody else about it. You tell me, how hopeful are you that that qualifies you to stand in the presence of a holy God? You tell me that. It's awful. I can remember one Sunday I'm coming over here to preach and I turn on to Enright Road and I'm trembling that I have to preach this morning and I'm such a wicked man. So I asked the pastors, pray for me. How are you going to jigger your life in such a way that all of a sudden you don't have to worry about how you feel in the presence of a holy God? You remember the Philippian jailer? He's just minding his own business. And he has some dude named the Apostle Paul out there in the jail and then in the middle of the night. All of a sudden, cataclysm, you know, earthquake and fire and wind and just boom, boom, boom. And the jail was opened up, and his sole purpose in life was to protect the prisoners that the Roman emperor gave to him to hold. And he knows he's a dead man. And so what does he do? He takes out his sword, and he's going to fall on his sword. And then all of a sudden, the apostle Paul says, hey, 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 don't kill yourself. We're all here. And that man has looked death in the face, and what does he say? He says, oh, I was so relieved. I was going to kill myself. 
he says, well, isn't this nice? Let's go in and have a little bit of wine and cheese. What does he say? He says, well, you sure you're all here? Let's count. What did he say? He was about to kill himself. And then he found out that all the prisoners were there. And what did he say? He said, it's the most amazing thing. He said, what must I do to be saved? Why did he say, what must I do to be saved? This is the reason, brothers and sisters, God has written in your heart, in your heart, he has written his holiness and your wickedness such that every moment of every day you play games trying to deny the tension. You'll drink, you'll do pornography, you'll study real hard, (laughs) you know? And it's the same shell game. It's trying to silence the conscience of God in your heart. Why? Because you don't want to repent. That's why. But what if I were to tell you that When our Lord Jesus commanded us to repent, he wasn't just telling us a one-time thing. He was telling us that this is the joyful life of a Christian. That Christians are defined by the fact that we never stop repenting and we rejoice in it. We don't ever apologize for it. We don't ever make excuses for it. And if we do, we then repent for that. Look at it. May be found in him, Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. And that's the separation between Roman Catholics and Protestants. It should be. It certainly is the separation between us and every other religion of the world. Every other religion has something between a self-righteousness and a self-stoicism. And only Christianity is... uh, unconditional surrender with God knowing that he is the righteous one and we are not and then we have the privilege of that day on from then on we continue to repent and why well because the first repentance was so sweet he took us the way we were we didn't have to hide it from him When we came into church and we listened to the preaching, our hearts were aflame in us because for the first time somebody was diagnosing us right. (laughs) You know? They weren't pandering to us. They weren't telling us to repent of smoking within 25 feet of the front door. All of a sudden, it seemed like the people in that church knew the darkest secrets of my heart. They knew that I was jealous and envious and lazy and deceptive, that I equivocated constantly while claiming to be honest. They knew that my heart was bound up with lust, but I was a legalist, and so mine was heterosexual lust, not homosexual. And I looked down on all the homosexuals because they have a perverse lust, and my lust is, (laughs) you know. All of a sudden, we come in a church, we hear God's word, not Tim Bailey's word, We hear God's word preached, and our hearts are at peace. 
we say, okay, so he is my righteousness. And I say, yes, that's what scripture says, not having a righteousness of my own. And you say, okay, I'll take his righteousness because I don't have any. And now you're a Christian. <laughs> that's the gospel. I'll take his righteousness. I don't have any. That's it. That's a Christian. And then you began every day to repent. But you love it because he gave you his righteousness and so you can, you can cop to your sin every single day, every minute of every day. Now, Chris Connell, where's Chris? He must have been in the first service. Yeah, yeah. I once made the mistake, he's a math professor, and I once made the mistake of saying to Chris, Chris, you sin, we sin thousands of times a day. And Chris had an absolute hissy fit. What's wrong with you that you sin a thousand times a day? And I, I said, well, I guess it's because I have an overactive mind and mouth. <laughs> you know. But yeah, a thousand times a day as we live, and we look at our thoughts, and we hear our words, and we see our eyes a thousand times a day. We say, he is my righteousness. He is my righteousness. He is my righteousness. My dear brothers and sisters, every one of us here is the same. There's no hope for us because God is not in the business of allowing us to think that we can earn our way to heaven. God wants unconditional surrender from us. Unconditional. Unconditional. But the minute we unconditionally surrender, guess what? You wouldn't believe how many people through history and across the world are right there with us. And the reason they're right there with us is because nobody's playing king of the hill anymore. Under the cross, it's level. There are no Chinese. I better be careful here. There are no Japanese. And there most certainly aren't any Germans. There are no Presbyterians, there are no Baptists, there are no men, no women, no slave, nor free, no PhD, and no black-stubbed chewing tobacco. We are one in Christ because we spend our lives repenting and trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we're all level, all level. You say, well, you know, you've been up there talking for quite a while. It doesn't look like you're equal to me. I say, listen, anytime you want to trade places with me, you just tell me. Trust me. Isn't it nice to have the luxury of not having to talk about what's in your heart this morning? Are you with me? And I have to talk about what's in my heart every single time I get up here. You pray for me. All right? So let's pray. Father God... 
Would you please send your spirit into our hearts that we will make an unconditional surrender, that we will confess that inside of us dwells no good thing, that we will stop allowing all the voices of this world to seduce us from the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And instead, we'll take up our cross and follow our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Father, send your spirit to every soul here that this may be a place where every man, woman, and child is born again by the Spirit of God. We love you, Jesus Christ. We love your righteousness. We love your blood. Wash us so that we may be clean, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.